Now, I want to begin with this thought. Um, as we talk about filters, another way we could see filters is filters can be a good thing. Uh, filters, we need that for coffee. We need filters for water. We need filters for watching movies. When you have children and they start growing up, rated G was cute, PG, PG-13, you're like, honey, we need to start filtering some of this stuff. And so we filter bad things so that it gives us good health. Um, I want to show you something. A friend of mine lent me this. This is a welding mask. And what this does is, if you look in here, there's a screen. And when you put it on, like this, wow, you could see everything and you could start welding. And that screen, when there's a spark, it turns black. Why does it turn black? It's blocking out the harmful sparks that would ruin your eyes. So this is, in effect, filtering for the good so your eyes last a long time. It's a cool welding mask. Uh, tried it once to fix something in our church. And so this idea is, wow, there are a lot of things that we have to filter, and it's good for us. At the same time, there are times where we filter things, and it may not be good for us. Um, when could filtering be bad? Well, when I'm watching a football game, and my wife is saying, honey, can you throw out the trash, or can you bring, can you bring in the milk? And I'm so locked in on the football game that I don't hear her, and I filter her out. That could be a bad thing. And that has never happened, I'm sure. Um, it's hypothetical. Uh, of course it's happened, and she's looking at me right now with a big grin. And we can filter out even good things. And sometimes we can filter out even God. Did you know that uh, insurance companies have a legal term for natural disasters, like hurricane, tornado, earthquakes? You know what they call it? Acts of God. And what that legal term says is no human person is responsible for any damages because it's an act of God. And so it's interesting. Anything disastrous, we give credit to God and say it's an act of God. But what's fascinating is when good things happen in our lives, you rarely hear in the news, act of God. You say, oh, that was the hospital. Oh, that was the governor. Oh, that was just by chance. But rarely do we see in the news when good things happen, God is glorious. He did this. God is with us. Channel 7 News, NBC News, CBS, we'll turn back to you. We never hear that. In effect, we're filtering out God uh, from the world, giving him the credit for bad things, and we don't give him credit for the good things. You know, so when God gets a blame for these bad things and not the good things, it's like we're filtering out God and pushing him away. And so what I want to talk about today is, is it possible we can encounter and experience God in a good way, but we don't see him? We filtered him out. Well, that's what today's text is from John chapter 9. And so in John chapter 9, um, I want to share with us a story about Jesus, Pharisees, and a man born blind. And so John chapter 9 begins with this. He's walking with his disciples. They walk into a town, and there's a man that they recognize he's been born blind. I don't know how. I always wondered, how did, they, did he have a sign? Was it a reputation in town? But the disciples asked him an interesting question. And they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What an interesting assumption. 
he must be blind because somebody sinned. Somebody did something bad. Now, throughout history, we know this to be true. Um, whenever there was anything bad, people had the superstitious belief it must be because something bad, you did something bad, like Job. His friend said, Job, you're suffering because you probably have some sin. Now, it's true that all evil and hardship is created because of sin, but that's not the same thing to say anything bad is caused by a sin. So Jesus is, comes in, and he goes in completely the opposite way. He says, no, neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. One thing I just want to share is some people are seeing this coronavirus pandemic and they're saying, oh, you know, it's because we've been evil, we're being, we need to repent. And that's the true. We do need to repent. But to identify this specific pandemic as God's judgment because of our badness, it's hard to conclude that. What we can say is sin has created a ripple effect and disease was not God's plan, death was not God's plan, and this is why we need a Savior. And so Jesus is saying here, neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin caused a blindness, but this is going to happen for a purpose. Now catch that. We have to see that even in bad times, God can bring out great things for his glory, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. So Jesus uh, spits and puts mud on his eyes. Did you catch that? So he's blind. Jesus spits on the ground, makes a little bit of mud putting, and puts it over his eyes. And then he tells the man, Go to the pool of Shiloam and wash it off. What's fascinating to me and interesting to me is the man actually did it. So he goes, comes back, and he could see. Now, it's an incredible miracle. Um, people were so shocked. They said, is that the same guy? Let me double check. Is this the man? Is that, is that George? I don't know what his name is. But is this the same dude? And they're double checking. But this is where the plot thickens. The Pharisees um, could not and would not believe Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus did the healing or this man actually was healed. They even interviewed his parents. They went back to him a couple of times. They could not believe that this man would be healed. Why? Well, let's explore that. The reason they couldn't see and believe is something we need could draw from today. He, they had two filters. Very simple. Nothing, none of this is going to be mind-blowing. Here's their first filter, though. The Pharisees could not believe it and would not believe it, and they could not see Jesus do it because of stubbornness. Stubbornness. No, Mom, I will not clean my room. Nope, you can't make me. I will not eat the broccoli. Stubbornness. We've experienced stubbornness. And so what happened is they resisted believing this miracle and earlier in verse 15, the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And then verse 24, so they went the second time, they just couldn't let him go, and said, hey, tell us again what happened. They just wouldn't budge. And here's what's going on in the Pharisees' mind. They took the Ten Commandments of Moses, and they made it over time to make it practical and everyday relevant. They turned it into 613 laws. And they were really good at keeping it. They were really good at enforcing it. And so whenever people break these laws, they're all over it. And guess what day Jesus healed the blind man? The Sabbath. Nobody is allowed to lift any weight and do a work like this on the Sabbath. 
So, verse 16, it says, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. That's a massive conclusion. They were stuck on this issue of, okay, forget this incredible miracle. Who did the work on Sabbath? They couldn't get past that stubbornness. And so according to their laws, nobody from God would break these laws even to do good. Jesus was not from God, according to them. And what a tragic conclusion. Do you see how the stubbornness of their hearts kept them, not just from seeing Jesus, but they went the opposite way. This man is not from God. That's a strong statement. I mean, it's tough to make that statement today. But they give it a tribute to Jesus. And so what's going on here is, in our stubbornness, what what could happen to us is, when Jesus doesn't fit into my box that I like, my expectations, my standards, it can't be me that's wrong. It's Jesus that's wrong. And that's the curse of stubbornness. If we only worship God because he fits neatly into our expectations, he fits neatly into our idea of comfort and what we think life should be, somebody said, you are worshiping a false God. You have created God in your own image. In other words, if God seems to disagree with me and his word disagrees with me, It could be either God's wrong or I'm wrong. And in humility, I think the sensible thing is, let's explore this tension and question it more, rather than saying God must be fake and wrong. And so that disagreement is not a bad thing. It's saying, let's explore what the truth is. Well, they had a second filter, and surprise, surprise, this gets every single one of us, even me, all pastors and all leaders, parents, it's this issue of pride. The second filter that Jesus uh, kept them Pharisees from seeing Jesus was his pride. Verse 26, 28, I'll read it for us. They said to him, what did he do to you? As Pharisees are talking to the blind man healed. How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen because they're stubborn. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And it says, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. The Hebrew word for revile is literally, they heaped abuse on him. Uh, In young people's language, they'll say stuff like, oh, he's been triggered. They've been triggered. Their anger has been erupted. They touched a nerve. And so the Pharisees, um, verse 34, say, you were born in utter sin. I love that condescension. And would you teach us? What does that sound like? Pride. They loved their positions. They they were the ones who were the educated, the high, and they knew the scripture. This blind man, he's uneducated. What does he have to teach us? And this pride really made them bubble up. It's a filter that keeps us from seeing who Jesus really is. Um, Proverbs 16, 18, some of you have heard this growing up. Uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One thing I realized as a pastor is, as, as I served at Community Presbyterian Church of La Mirada, I am easily not the smartest person in this room. I just get to speak 
from the pulpit. That does not mean I am the smartest person in this room. And what we have to do as leaders is we have to keep on learning and growing. We have to keep on humbling ourselves to realize I am never going to be there. And we humbly follow and grow. And so the humble have a secret. You know what the secret is? The humble know what they don't know. Or humble know that they don't know. That's their secret. Humble people know that they don't know. The arrogant people say, I got it all. I know everything. I've been here. I've been doing this for 50 years. You know how I know that? None of us, no one is God. We will never know everything. And what this pandemic is doing that's a gift for all of us is it's forcing us to learn and adjust and grow. How do I do parenting better? I've never knew teaching was so hard. I never knew. So I saw a little internet post. Somebody said, parents put a poster. Parents, you lied to us. They are not a joy to have in your class. I thought that was funny. It's hard. And when we discount people out of our pride, we realize Boy, we are in a dangerous spot. The humble know that they don't know. And so the climactic verse comes out in verse 39 and 41. Let me show it to us. For judgment, Jesus says, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Verse 41. If you were blind, you would have no guilt But now that you say we see out of pride, I could see, I know what's going on. Jesus, you're not from God. But now that they say that, their guilt remains. What a powerful filter that keeps us from seeing truth, Christ, God. And so, as as Jesus says this, those who claim to see will remain blind. Those who turn to Christ's mercy God will show mercy and unveil their eyes. We sang a song last week, open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. He has to open our eyes to see. That's what blind people do. And so William Barclay, I want to introduce his thought. He focuses on the blind man, and he says there's a progression. The blind man refers to Jesus three different ways throughout the story, and it changes. This is the non-stubborn and a humble blind man who saw Jesus. First, he sees Jesus, and he says, that man, Jesus, he's the one that who healed me. And true, Jesus was truly a man. But then he goes on in verse 17. He says, who is this Jesus? I think he is a prophet. It evolves from this human being who was a wonderful, kind man to a prophet, a prophet meaning he was sent by God and he speaks God's word to us. So this blind man is starting to see Jesus more and more. The spectacles are growing. The iris is expanding. More light is coming in. And then he sees Jesus as his incredible prophet. But get this, verse 38, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the blind man says, yes, I do. And he worshiped him. From the man to a prophet, was sent by God to God, and he worshiped him. Lord, I believe, verse 38, and he worshiped him. All filters are off. He sees Jesus as he is. And when you see Jesus as he is, there is no thought you need to do 
the immediate heart, when you see the beauty of the creator who loves you, who redeemed you, who, who is God, our hearts want to worship him. It's a knee-jerk reaction. This is why we have to see Jesus. So how do we see without filters? So how do we, how do we go to God and see that Jesus is truly right in front of us? Well, James 4.10 gives us his clue. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. This is humility. It's the opposite of pride and stubbornness. The humble turn their gaze on Jesus. Uh, John Calvin once said, everybody thinks of themselves as holy and righteous and good until they see Jesus and they are convicted of their sins. And that's exactly what happens. But that's a good thing. Because when you are a sick person and you recognize, I am so sick, where do you go? You go to the doctors. You realize you need mercy. And Jesus is the only one who can open his eyes and wash him of his sin. So I want to wrap, as we kind of land, I want to look at this miracle in a unique way. Jesus spits, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, and he goes to tell him to wash it where? Not at Rite Aid, not at the Jordan River, not at the swimming pool, the pool of Shiloam. What's there? The pool of Shiloam is very significant. This pool happens to be right next to the temple. And every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would come out of the temple, draw water from this pool of Shiloam, and they would pour it on the altar seven times, one day for seven days. And so the water was poured for seven days to urge, represented God, as you blessed us with this bountiful harvest, bless us again next year. This symbolizes the rain of your blessing and let the harvest grow next year. But it also had a second meaning. Because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire, they were doing this to say, Lord, send the re refreshing freedom and salvation that's in you and deliver us from bondage. And what's interesting is this, that there was, Jesus was trying to point this to us, and he does it in John chapter 7 at the pool of Shalom at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is what Jesus says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So Jesus is, everybody pay attention. Look, I got something important to say. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. If anyone's blind, let him come to me. If anyone's hungry, let him come to me. But let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What Jesus is saying here is, there's the pool, there's the representation. I want you to know something. The living water is standing right before you. I am the one. I am the deliverer. I am the refreshing water from God. I have been sent by God. And guess what Shiloh means? Sent. This is Jesus making a huge statement through this episode with the blind man that only he could see, but the Pharisees couldn't. The proud, the stubborn couldn't. And so Jesus is this living water. So for those who are skeptical about God, here's a final application for us. This text is telling us we don't know what we don't know. And keep on reading, but keep your mind and heart open. So we have to keep looking for clarity. 
Clarity and sight will come when we humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, show me. This actually happened with one of my children. And she said, I don't know if I believe in God. This was years ago. And I said, that's okay. I know it doesn't matter. I'm not going to force you to believe. But can I ask you for a couple of things? One, ask God if you're real. Keep showing yourself to me. Two, show me that you are real. That's all I want. I didn't, as a pastor, I didn't say, you're a pastor's kid. You better go to church and you better believe. I did not say that. I said, that's okay. Let God open your eyes. Don't stop questioning. He will reveal himself to the humble. And so the second thing we see is for the church is this, as we wrap up. This time of pandemic, I used to think we need to endure we're going to get through this. We're going we're to survive, and we have to get through this. It's a test, and I'm starting to question that. I don't think it's about enduring. I think there's something even more beautiful. We need to see Christ in this pandemic and take our eyes off of ourselves, off of what we lost, off of what we don't have. Grieve, definitely grieve. But when we look to Christ and say, Jesus, where are you in this pandemic? Open my eyes again. We start seeing, like Mr. Rogers said in his neighborhood, when there's tragedy, look for all the helpers that come out. Maybe Jesus is inviting us. Don't just endure. Step in to action. See that I am not impotent. See that I am not a fallible God. Let me empower you to love and to do great things. Church, this is a call to us. We are called to unload our blindfolds of frustration and fear and to step into the calling of Christ and to gaze on him and to trust that with God, Lord, let it come. Use me. Let me go. And so, so friends, let us be moved to action and as we look at this church, we don't want to just endure because we see Jesus who's unveiled our eyes by dying for us on the cross and rising again. Let us join with him and let us be a blessing to this world and let us proclaim the gospel of Christ who is here for all people. Just so one little thought I wanted to say is there are many people who are blind. Don't give up on them. Pray for them. Love them. It's kindness that leads to repentance. So let us spend more time in prayer for those around us. So at this time, as we wrap up, uh, we want to go into a time of Lord's Supper. And this bread and cup that represents what Jesus has done, this is a restoring and replenishing and a fueling of our faith. And so I want to gather together and just... For those of you who are home, if you, have, uh, if you have bread and cup and juice, we'd like for you to prepare right now. And at this moment, uh, in this room, place people will be getting towards their stations. And let me just share this with us. I'm going to give you a moment to uh, prepare your elements. <clears throat> 